Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The following is a presentation of the Eastern Michigan Sports Network. Spins by the feet, he's to the 10, the 5, touchdown! Oh! oh, what a tackle! Evans up the middle to the 5, into the end zone, touchdown, Eastern Michigan! Straight from the 7-3-4, it's the Blue Cross Blue Shield Eastern Insider Podcast. Presented by the Foling Warehouse, your weekly chance to get in on the action. Now, let's send it to the guys on the inside of it all. Greg Steiner and Tom Helmer. We're about to shuffle off to Buffalo, but that doesn't mean we can't give thanks, Tom, on this episode of the Eastern Insider. Thanksgiving week upon us. Thank you for being part of this show. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. What's the biggest Thanksgiving tradition that is in the Helmer household? Well, there's always, you know, since we moved back to Michigan in 2019, it's everybody gathering at the parents' house. And then my brother-in-law, former firefighter, which I think I need to acknowledge because he does the drop the turkey. Oh, into the vent. In yeah, into yeah. the flaming oil. And it's done like in 45 minutes. And then him and their, uh, their son... They put on the old cooking gloves and they carve it all up. But oh, my uncle did that. Uh, that's my favorite thing of all time. Big stuffing guy, too. There's got to be yeah. stuffing on there. You did. My favorite was a few years ago, your mom had to have the practice Thanksgiving. Yeah, we've only done that once, but she she invited us over about a week before Thanksgiving. She goes, we're going to practice. And by practice, she just meant she made the full spread and we ate like the ship was going down. And then we fired it up again a week later. I don't know if she was thinking of getting into competitive eating or something like that, but I thought... She thought we should practice. Either that or she, maybe she thought you were getting too skinny, needed a little, little I don't meat think on that's the bone. A problem. No, that's never, that hasn't been an issue. You got the Christmas lights up. It's almost the, the holiday season. Up but not on. Yes. Up but not on. I know you broke tradition at your house this year. We did. We were going out of town. So Kathy decided we needed to get the stuff up in the house. So our house is 90% decorated. But it's kind of, as she tells it, you can have a Christmas mix with Thanksgiving as well. You can't, but the tree is up. The tree is up. Two of them. The lights are on. Uh, when the timer turns on, yeah. In the evening. Yeah. Hmm. But you're going to be out of town. We so won't be there. So. That's how she, I mean, not like she couldn't throw it up right when you got back. I, you come back, it'll be Christmas season. There's a little wiggle room there. I put the lights up on the house in the warmest November day I can find as, as prior to Thanksgiving. But none of them come on until... Yes. The day after Thanksgiving. I, I will not turn outside lights on until after Thanksgiving. So Some of my neighbors have had them on for a week already. I think some people put them on as soon as Halloween was over. It's too early. But those are the same people that are leaving them up till April. That's true. Some people just don't take them down. 
That's one way to beat the system. I had uh, some friends in Denver that had wrapped a tree with Christmas lights and then just never took them down. And eventually the tree, the lights grew into the tree. They didn't work anymore, but now the tree is just owns the lights. Owns the lights. Speaking of owning a lot of things, it's a great opportunity to uh, talk about ownership of a court that's inside the George Gervin game above center is Ben Braun uh, came back over the weekend. A tremendous ceremony for him to paint Ben Braun court. Uh, you got the chance to sit down with him. What a legend he is. He is a legend. Also you. That was a heck of a transition there. And I could see the wheels spinning behind your eyes, but you did it flawlessly. Ben Braun is probably one of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet. And I guess it's fitting that he is sharing the arena, as he says, with George Gervin. Another guy couldn't be a nicer guy when you meet him. Um, ben was absolutely blown away that his name's on the court. Uh, to him, he was just doing what he loved, coaching at Eastern Michigan, taking that team to championships, taking them to NCAA tournaments. And he loved the fact that his two kids were the ones that got to pull back the cloth on the floor and reveal that name. So, And he had talked to you and I about it, too. He didn't start his family till later on. And he said, if I had a family when I was in Eastern Michigan, they either would have fired me or I probably wouldn't have ended up divorced because all he did was work. He was on campus. He was generating buzz. He was getting people to Bowen Fieldhouse. And, and, and he's been rewarded with it by seeing that name on the floor. And I know for him how special it was to have his wife and kids there and see that and say, listen, dad did something here, yeah. you know, because his kids are, he's got one in high school and one in junior high. And they never really saw him coach that much, a little bit at Rice. So um, this is a part of him they didn't know, but now they're like, oh, this is, this is pretty big. And the other more surprising thing is just that he hasn't had the urge and the itch. You see so many people stop coaching, and then they're like, yeah, but, but I got to get back in. And he at least recognizes that uh, talking about it and not having to worry about the stress of recruiting and name, image, likeness, and APR – that he could just show up to a game, call it, and then go home. That's what he liked. Is he, as an analyst, after one of the games, he went back, he was talking to the players, he was talking to some of the players' parents, he was talking about something. Finally, someone goes, you know, you can just go home. You don't coach here anymore. You did your part during the game. Now you walk away. Right. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess I can do that. Now, his wife would love him to return to coaching because she's seen the salaries out yes. there. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm fired up for that, but she'd be all in if I decided I didn't want to coach again. And I think someone would hire him pretty quick, too. I think if somebody said that we'll add a few more zeros after me, I'd probably be like, sure, I'll try it. Why not? <laughs> You'd try basketball coaching? Uh, if they're going to put, uh, like, seven zeros after a comma? Yeah, I don't, like, yeah, uh, I don't know if anybody's going to give you $10 million to step out there with zero. Have you ever played basketball in no. any level? No. Yeah, either have I. Yeah, like I say, there's a reason that you don't see me like practice free throw shooting on the court. I, I, I'll stay to other sports that I'm better at. Which are? Baseball, yeah. video games, I guess. <laughs> video games. Hey, is esports is big money now. Not only, is that, not only is it big money, my son, who's a freshman here, has been tracking the esports team here and evaluating their play, and he's going to make it run and joining the team next semester. See, I, again, I, those some of those people on Twitch and YouTube are making tremendous value. They have zeros behind those numbers. Yes, they yeah. do. It's super competitive, too. And it's it's very interesting. I mean, the fact that they can pack arenas and have people watch Well, they do the gaming forgiving here every March that will draw a million-plus dollars worth of revenue in, in a single weekend. What are they doing here? 
they do Gamers for Giving. So it's an event where they do 24 hours of gaming from... In the arena? In the arena. They pack it. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. It's big time. That's this spring? They That's do it every spring? Every spring. All right, I'll have to let them know. You have to come in and watch it. The, uh, and the setups. These people's rigs and chairs and It's a big computers. deal. Woo. Well, it's funny because my son plays on a PC. He, would, he doesn't like... Like, I play video games on a PlayStation yeah. 4. I'd like a five for Christmas if you're listening, Greg. And uh, some people play Xbox, but he plays. It could be the Eastern Insider presented by PlayStation if they would like to. Get on board, PlayStation. But he has the mouse and the keyboard, and it's to me it looks like he's not actually doing anything. He's just banging on keys, but he's he's top five percent in the country in one of his games. Yeah, I I was. I had the uh, Nintendo. I had the. GameCube, all those in things. television. Oh, did you ever have that one? Did not. That was pre me. I had to shove. It's not. Is it that old? It was. That's oh man, nineteen seventies. My dad made us shovel snow till we raised enough money. We drove us around in a pickup truck with shovels around neighborhoods in Celine, and we would jump out and knock on the door, and we would shovel a driveway for like ten bucks, and we just had to keep shoveling till we had enough money to buy an Intellivision. Well, that's hustle. That was awesome. That was awesome. See, the great thing Those about- would be worth a lot of money, too, now. Yeah, I dished it long ago, I'm sure. But I thought it was so great, these stick figures. One team was like yellow, one was orange, and there was a little white square ball. Frogger. And, this, and, and to me, it was the greatest thing ever. Now I'm so jaded that if I'm playing college, I'm like, the sun would not set on that portion of the stadium. What are we doing here, people? I used, Yeah, I used to be able to... I could spend 24 hours just playing Zelda if I wanted to. Now, I don't think I have focus to do like... Two hours of it. Do you play golf, video games? Uh, Golden Tee, Tiger. Yeah, 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 yeah. Saves you money, too. You don't have to go out on the course and knock it around. You don't lose any balls. And my shoulder doesn't hurt nearly as bad. That's a good call. Yeah, good call. <laughs> Speaking of good calls, we also on this show have Chris Creighton, who hopefully for money people will be dialing up some great calls like he did in the final two minutes of regulation and to get us into overtime because Eastern Michigan... Boy, boy, did they get lucky last week against Akron. A walk-off winner in double overtime. But that's a game the Akron Zips really gave away. Well, listen, I, I think it's very underrated. The pop pass at the end of the game, I think, is one of the greatest calls Eastern Michigan's had offensively the whole season. I don't know if that was Creighton's call. I don't know if it was Piatkowski's call. But everybody in that stadium was sure that a couple yards from the goal line, they were going to give it to Samson Evans. It'd be the same as giving it to Marshawn Lynch. Oh, I would have bet the, my house, the dog, everything I had yeah. that Samson was getting that ball. So when he faked it and turned and hit Getzinger for his first career touchdown in the back of the end zone, that was unbelievable. That was a great play call. I don't think I don't think Akron gave it away. They, in my opinion, because all you need on that is a one more first down. They needed five yards. Yeah, and instead. They decide not to go for the, the points, not to go for the yards. They punt it away. It goes to the touchback. You give Eastern the ball at the 20 with two and a half minutes to go. It, to, at the time, the 129th offense in the nation. Yeah, but you're Akron. You just had come off an eight-minute-plus drive. All you needed was four yards. Maybe that's why you're Akron. Maybe that's why you're not going to a bowl game. Maybe that's why you struggled this season. Eastern Fair. Michigan dug deep on that drive and did what they had to do. Oh, I'm ecstatic. Don't, don't get me wrong. No, no, I'm, I'm not saying you're upset about it. I, I just, I'm just saying that they, Eastern Michigan, Akron gave them nothing. They right. made their play call. Oh, we saw it similar with the Bears-Lions yesterday. The Bears 
you know, kick a field yeah. goal. They're up You're 12 right. late, and it's, you know, who plays the full 60 minutes, or in this case, 60 plus two overtimes. But I thought the pop pass was a great call at the end. So now you set yourself up. We're on our way to Buffalo. Everything's on the line for you. Now, Buffalo has a phenomenal defense. If you haven't been paying attention, their numbers in MAC play are right up there with Toledo. Toledo, I think, has allowed eight touchdowns in MAC play. Buffalo's allowed 12. The last two games against good opponents, they have shut people down in the first quarter of play. So Eastern Michigan's in for a dogfight, but I think if you can get a touchdown early, get a little momentum going, I think Buffalo may shut it down because they're like, listen, we're, we're not going anywhere. It's a cold, wet night. We're done. Yeah, I talked to Paul Peck, their radio voice, this morning uh, to get re- him ready for the game. And he said, this is the exact opposite situation we were in a year ago. He said, last year, it was us having to play against Akron, a team that had nothing to play for on a snowy, chilly day. Granted, it's not going to be snowy. It'll still be chilly. It'll be rainy. But he said last year, the guys dug deep and had to grit it out to win just at the end. Mm -hmm. He's like, so these guys know what they're up against. But yeah, you're right. This is a team that was picked second in the East. Everybody thought they were going to run away and be right there in the end. And instead, they're packing their bags, thinking about what they're doing uh, until April when spring ball rolls around. So, And I have talked to numerous guys on the team. They're like, we don't want this ride to be over yet. So... It's going to be whichever team can just not turn the ball over tomorrow that I think wins. Uh, I think there's a lot to that, and it's going to be it's going to be a defensive battle. It's going to be a low-scoring game. And like you said, you can't turn the ball over and get yourself in trouble. If you can just find some way to get the gas going early and get up on them, I think it makes it easier to get them to think, let's just, let's just get the 60 minutes over with, yeah. and next year we'll be a better football team. No, I agree. It, it comes out, you, if you after senior day, you punch them in the mouth a little bit, and they're feeling on their heels. Yeah, you could see lights out Eastern Michigan after that. If you don't, whew, I don't know that uh, you and I are going to feel real confident until that thing hits zero. I think it's going to be more like the Akron game than anything else. I think it's going to come down to the wire. It's going to be a dogfight the whole way. We haven't played well on the road. Yep. Still looking for their first road win this season after last year. The road was so not easy, but it came naturally to Eastern Michigan. Yeah, but you were bad at home. Yep. So it's, you know, you you married those two together, you would have had a perfect season. But So we'll see tomorrow night, 7.30. We'll have airtime on WEMU and the Varsity Network beginning at 7.20. And then uh, we close out our show with a recap. We dug back in the archives, back to 2020. It was an interview that you got to do over Zoom with the legendary voice of Eastern Michigan, a guy that you're now with the label of, the voice of EMU Athletics. We, you sat down with John Fountain. We remember JCF as he uh, passed away last week at the age of 91, a kind of the standard bearer for what Everybody now compares what you do to to, as the voice. There'll never be a better voice at Eastern Michigan than John Fountain. And maybe they need to name Press Row after him, name the radio booth after him. He's a legend. He did it forever, and he was great at what he did. And for a lot of people, he was the voice of those Mm -hmm. NCAA tournaments and uh, the 87 Bowl game, even the 71 Pioneer Bowl. He didn't just do it for a long time because he was convenient. He did it for a long time because he's one of the best to ever do it. And so um, I'm blessed that we did that interview in 2020. Uh, I feel blessed 
that he was able to drive over here last year when it was Ben Braun Day last mm -hmm. year. And I got to sit with him and Ben Braun and we talked. We talked about basketball. We talked about life. My regret is I never got to call a game with him. I tried to get him to, you know, if you ever want to come back, we'll pick you right. up. We'll yep. send you a car, do whatever. I would love to sit on the microphone with you one time. Didn't get that opportunity. But he's a legend. And in my mind, he'll be the best Eastern Michigan ever had. I got to do two games with him. He had uh, retired at one point, And then we brought him out of retirement for two games because we had uh, a special series that was in Florida. We played FIU and F. AU down there. Brian Nemorowski, who was the, the radio guy who took over for him, wasn't able to make the trip as he had a normal job. And so they were like, take the radio equipment down, do your thing with John. And I was like, okay. So I was, it was surreal to be able to do that. Even after he'd been retired for like five years, he still had it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't lose it like riding a bike, especially yeah. for him. When you're that good, you step right back into it. Great voice, great at calling games. He'll be missed, but what a tremendous life he had. And he did a lot of things for Eastern Michigan University. He did, and one of them that everybody can never forget, uh, he resurrected the football program. You remember in 1984, the decision was made uh, that Eastern was going to be expelled from the American Conference. And they weren't drawing. They weren't winning. Mm -hmm. And the president said, John, the only thing you're going to do is find a way to get people in that stadium and find a way for the football team to win. And him and Jim Harkimaw devised a way to have Eastern energy. Eastern sold out. They go to a bowl. They win a Mid-American Conference championship. And you know, from 86 to 89, they had it as good as anybody ever can. But without John, we could be Division II right now, for yeah. all we know. Or there could be no football at Correct. all. Correct. So... I think Eastern fans should always remember JCF for that aspect that he saved EMU football. A legend. A legend. So we have that conversation. We also have a compilation of some maybe not recently heard calls from him. We have calls from the 1987 Cal Bowl as well as the big upset of Duke. So great stuff still to come. Tom, you and I have to hit the road we're leaving the country. We're leaving the country. But we'll be back the same day. Unless the customs doesn't let us back in. Well, then we'll call the game from the Canadian side of Niagara Falls. <laughs> <laughs> Water falls over it. We're going on a honeymoon, Greg. Yes, we are. Buckle up, kitten. Don't look for any barrels. If you see us driving by on the road, we hope you're enjoying the Eastern Insider Podcast presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield and the Foaling Warehouse. It's here, Bowling Warehouse, and sports will never be the same. Bowling combines the best of bowling and football, but you don't have to be good at either to have a great time at the Bowling Warehouse. Ipsy Ann Arbor's newest place to play is now open. 20 lanes, two bars, over 100 beers. The Bowling Warehouse at the corner of Washtenaw and Golfside in Ypsilanti, where everyone comes to play. Are you ready? Ready to find the right care that works for you? Care that connects you to what you need anytime, anywhere, and fits best with your lifestyle. Whether it's in person or in your pajamas, online or over the phone, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan connects you to the care you need when you need it most. With the largest network of doctors and hospitals, an easy-to-use mobile app, and a 24-hour nurse line. Because we're always ready to help. 
Learn more about Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan at bcbsm.com. Joining me now, the legend, Ben Braun. I feel like I can say that once your name is actually placed on a basketball court. Well, it's still surreal to me, so you can say it all you like, but until I see it, until it happens, and, and you know, it's, it's, uh, no, it's, it's a great honor. I'm humbled, um, and, and I hope I can share this with the players, the coaches, the community that were such a big part of the success we had. What was it like when they first notified you, Ben, this is what we're thinking. We'd like to name the court after you. Well, Roy Wilbanks approached me, and I, Roy has been such so instrumental in my career. He was really arguably my biggest critic, but my biggest supporter, too. And I say that in a good way because uh, he brought this to me, and I, and I said, wow, it, just, it really it did blow me away. But I said, Roy, I'll, I'll accept this honor, but I want to do it with the understanding that I can bring my players and my coaches back and all the community back and rally behind this. And I hope that we've been able to do that. Let's go back to the beginning a little bit. When you first arrive on campus at Eastern Michigan, talk about what it was like first coming in as an assistant. Well, I had never been an assistant, to be honest. I've been a head coach. Well, I've been an assistant in high school, but I was a head coach for eight years at Siena Heights College. I only knew one way. I didn't know what I didn't know. And so uh, Jim Boyce was very uh, kind to offer me the position of his associate or assistant head coach. Um, and I just went in there and helped, tried to help him the best I can. It was a surprise to me that he re resigned. But I, I still, to this, to this day, think Jim resigned uh, knowing that uh, he was going to step down and he wanted me and get to give me the opportunity to coach. And I've always been indebted to him for that. He said, you'll be fine. You, you should be the head coach of this team this year. So I, I really appreciated that. And you were young, and then all of a sudden – you're the head coach in a Division One basketball program. That's a lot. Well, it's a lot, you know, but the only thing for me is I've never really treated coaching, whether it was high school, uh, NEI at Siena Heights or, or Eastern Michigan, any differently. I th think there's a way to coach young men. Uh, there's a way to, to, to compete. And I don't think really you can put a division on that. It's, you know, some of my best players at Siena Heights could have played at Eastern Michigan. Certainly some of my best players at Eastern Michigan, Eastern Michigan could have played at Cal. So um, I just think that sometimes there's too much placed on that. But I was fortunate that I was able to draw upon my head coaching experiences. Ben, it was a really wonderful era of college basketball. While you were here, you start going to the NCAA tournament. It's one thing to be a coach at a Division I school. It's another to get the team to the NCAA tournament and do it three times. For you, what was kind of the secret sauce for you? Well, we had very competitive practices, and I always felt that if your practices were harder than your games, you had a chance to be really good. And uh, sometimes your players didn't understand that. You know, they didn't know why we were so demanding. We had early morning practices. Earl Boykins didn't like it, that's for sure. And I kid with him to this day. We're still very close. Uh, but, you know, I think the discipline of getting up early, the discipline of having to make 10 free throws in a row before you go home, the discipline of having to talk on defense. I made our players play four on five, five against seven, and they thought that was unfair. But we tried to create try to create atmosphere in practice that was going to be more difficult than the game, and, and try to create habits in practice that would carry over to the game. So, and we always gave our players a very competitive schedule. Uh, we didn't play uh, cupcakes. We played very difficult teams, and we did very well against those teams. You brought up the name Earl Boykins. He's a legend here as well. When you were recruiting him. What was the sell, and were you surprised when you finally got him? Well, you know, Earl wasn't highly recruited, um, but you know, either was Lorenzo Neely when he was in high school, and he might have been the most important recruit we ever had it, uh, here. You know, he came in when Grant Long was uh, finishing his career, and he, you know, he helped our team to become better. He was tough. He was, a, he was unselfish. He was a role player, and Earl was much the same way, although Earl had the ability to score. At his size, 
I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, uh, you know, I said, Earl, you're going to be mismatched many nights. You know, are you going to be able to handle it? He says, coach, he said, I I've got the mismatch in my favor. He said, I played against big guys my whole life. Big guys have never played against anybody my size. And I said, that's pretty ingenious of him to, to look at the game that way. When you looked at the type of players you wanted to bring to Eastern Michigan, sometimes, you know, these days, are they the right height, right size? Some other guys are just like, can they play basketball? When you were looking at like a prototypical guy you wanted on the court for you at Eastern Michigan, what were some of the things on that checklist? Well, I always thought it was important to, to you know, have a great work ethic, um, to be unselfish, to not care about who gets the credit. You know, you can be the leading scorer on your team, but if your team's not winning, I don't think that's going to do you much good. So can you, can you make the players around you better? The players we recruited sometimes made the guys around them better, and that meant they were good recruits, or they were able to fit in, uh, maybe play their role to the best of their ability. So uh, recruiting is not an exact science. I've let many good players go uh, that, that I thought maybe weren't as good, and they ended up being better. Uh, but you know, then, then uh, you know, you got to have a little luck, but you also have to have a system. You have to have a great coaching staff. I had tremendous coaches when we were here. We were able to break down. Each coach would take three or four guys work with those guys. So I always felt that each coach or each player had like their own mentor, not just the head coach, but the assistant coaches. And, uh, and we spent a lot of time mentoring those player, these players, not just on the floor, but off. And then we had a great support uh, crew when I was mm -hmm. here uh, at Eastern Michigan. And I think that's important when you're recruiting players that you want to nurture them and bring them along. A lot of guys have played for you and moved on to great success. One of them is the head coach here at Eastern Michigan, well, Stan Heath. I have great stories on Stan. I still think- Let's I hear them. Uh, no, Stan Heath, to me, I've recruited Stan. I've known Stan probably longer than anybody other player here at Eastern. I recruited Stan when I was at Siena Heights. I was upset that I couldn't get him to come play for me there, but he got too good. And then uh, he was recruited by Eastern Michigan. And I said, Stan, that's a great offer. You got to take that. Uh, met his family, um, just not, not only a great player, but he was, was he's even a greater person. But, um, you know, Stan was instrumental, I think, in me getting the job at Eastern and, and, and for two reasons. One, as people were watching me coach this team, we went into Notre Dame and we lost in overtime. And we probably should have beat them. But Stan was one of the guys that was battling their All-American, David Rivers, and helping us get to the overtime of that game or, to the, you know, into that game. Uh, so his competitive play helped us. And then we went to play Grand Valley State Division II school on the road. And Stan came off the bench and single-handedly turned that game around. And I tell him, if we had lost that game, there's no way Eastern Michigan would have hired a coach that couldn't beat a Division II school. So I give a Stan credit for me being at Eastern Michigan. I always feel like the Sweet 16 banner in the gym should just be a little bit bigger. What an amazing run. When you think back on that season and taking Eastern Michigan to the Sweet 16, what stands out in your mind? Well, we had, you know, it was the third time we'd, we had won the championship, uh, our second time we'd won the championship with the same guys that won it as freshmen and sophomores. So this is not, was not their first rodeo. They they not only believed they should be in the tournament, they believed they should advance and have a chance to play for a national title. My, my feeling to this day is, and it's been my misfortune, we had to play against North Carolina and Dean Smith, and it mm -hmm. happened to me twice in my career that we get to the Sweet 16 and we have to play against Dean Smith and his teams. But, you know, our team had a lot of confidence. Uh, we, we held our own. I thought we were in control in a lot of the first half of that game, and then they got away in the second half. But uh, just to get our team to that point, you know, we had to win at Eastern. We had to win the conference tournament championship. If we don't win our conference tournament championship, I don't know that we're going to get in at large. So it put a lot of pressure on us. But if you think about it, our team not only won the regular season, but they won the, 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 the conference tournament championship. So I knew that team was special. Uh, we got by two games in the tournament and uh, beat a Big Ten team, 
actually, and uh, a great Mississippi State team, uh, Penn State. So we, we had a good team, and, and I'm proud of those guys. And, and that team, I think, is still together. They're very close to this day. And of course, the guy that told the story of that era and for a long time at Eastern Michigan, John Fountain, passed away this past week a legend at Eastern Michigan and will always be known as the voice of the university. Your thoughts on John? Well, you know, it, it, it does. It, it, you know, it's, it's emotional for me. It almost brings a tear to my eye because it was a year ago today. I came back to do a game and John drove to see me at 90 plus, mm -hmm. gets in his car, drives in, gives me a big hug. But John was more than a great announcer and uh, play by play and maybe one of the best I've been around, but he was also a family guy. He was also, uh, uh, you know, a friend. He was a personal friend. He was a friend to our players. He was a friend to our coaching staff. And whenever we went to games, uh, he was he was there. I can still hear his voice today. And he brought our fans together. You know, when we played these great games on the road, it was his voice and his description of the game that brought the excitement back to Bowen Fieldhouse. And I don't think any of it happens without John Fountain. So there'll be a special place in my heart. Uh, you know, uh, everybody's heart, I think, as you as you look back now and and you 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 embrace Eastern Michigan basketball, John Fountain's going to be a part of that forever. I want to ask you this, Ben. Obviously, as you're having these great runs with Eastern Michigan, I'm sure a lot of schools came knocking at your door. What was it about Cal that finally got you out of Ypsilanti and over to the West Coast? Well, a couple things, uh, and it's a great question. Um, I didn't want to leave. I, I thought Eastern was the great place for me. They were going to build a new gym and had to go to Earl Boykins and I think Derek Dial basically asked them their blessing because I said, look, I'm going to be there for you guys through your graduation. And I said, I'm, I'm not leaving you without your without your approval. And they said, coach, you, you got to go. It's a great opportunity. Take it. Uh, and they also knew, I think, and I explained it to them. I had my family living out in California, my brother, my sister, my father. They all lived on the West Coast. So and I had been a part of, from them for 20 years. Um, so it gave me a chance to get back to see family. I'd been to Berkeley a number of times. I knew a lot of people, uh, even some of the guys that were on the team then, they had a potential to be a good team, and it was the Pac-12, or Pac-10 at the time. Uh, and Berkeley's kind of a crazy place. It's, uh, uh, if you haven't been there, it's a fun place. I'd been going there for years and visiting Northern California, so it was a great opportunity. And, and, and if it wasn't Cal, I, I don't know that I would have gone. So, um, and then we were able to get some success there. But um, I try not to look back because it brings a lot of emotion to me, but I, I was happy that Eastern was allowed to, or was able to go and have some success after I left it, which was a credit to those players and coaches that continued the success of the program. And we'll finish where we started. And now after all that, your name is going to be on the court. You're immortalized forever. What does that mean to you, Ben? Well, first, I, I got to say, you know, it's George Gervin and me. We're on the court together, and and I play basketball against George. I don't know if people don't realize that, but I they don't realize I played against him when I was a freshman at Wisconsin Lacrosse. Of course, his team came in at Eastern and put us waxed us that game, and they're pretty good. And then I got a chance to get, hang out with George after the game. Great guy. But uh, my standard line now, I'm going to use this forever, is George and I uh, are fittingly on the court together because we combined for over 600 college wins. Uh, and then people say, well, he never coached. I said, well, that's okay. And I, you know, I combined for over 25,000 points in the NBA. And of course I never played in the NBA, but, um, but it's fitting, you know, it's, it's an honor to be on the court with George. Uh, but it's just an honor to be, um, you know, as you say, to, to have my name on a court where, uh, it meant so much for our teams, our coaches, our players and our community. It was a special time, but I would like nothing to see nothing more, uh, see nothing happen. Uh, you know, that maybe couldn't bring some of those days back. I think Eastern's always had a, 
a vision and a record and a tradition of success, whether it's mm -hmm. basketball, baseball, football, track. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember some of the, the great years here and teams are still doing well, but I hope that this can be something and I can be a part of the future success of Eastern. But to have my name on there is awfully special. Still a little bit surreal to me, but hopefully I'll get used to it. But I guess then finally to say the last thing, I've got my family here with me. My wife uh, made the trip, my son who's now in high school, my daughter who's in junior high, mm -hmm. they're able to see this. They actually think their dad did something for a living. They they only saw me a little bit coaching uh, at Rice University, didn't see me at Cal. Uh, my son was just born when I was coaching at Cal. So for them to, to see this and for me to share that with them means the world to me. So thank you for asking. You did a lot of great things. Welcome home. It's always good to have you. Thank you for your time, Ben. Thank you, thank you buddy. This episode of the Eastern Insider Podcast is brought to you by National Trails Bus. Safety, comfort, reliability. Come ride with us, as well as Trinity Health. Trinity Health is the preferred healthcare provider of EMU Athletics. Get top-tiered orthopedic and spine care to get you back in the game, as well as standard printing and design, the standard of excellence in design and print for small business. Eagles wrapped up their home season with a thrilling over double overtime victory over Akron on Tuesday night, joined by the head coach, Chris Creighton. What a comeback. You look at your team's offense, both a tremendous two-minute drill drive before the half to score, and then same at the end of regulation. You get the ball back with about two and a half minutes to go, and Akron really could have salted away, deciding instead to try a field goal or go for it, they'd punt the ball in the end zone and give you an opportunity with the ball back. What was the mindset that you told the offense when they walked back out on the field for that occurrence in regulation? Well, I would just back up a, a tiny bit on that because we used all three timeouts. You know, they got the third down, the long jump ball um, where we had them pinned in their end of the field. So they got down to our end, had used all three timeouts, and our, our defense had to come up with a stop. You know, it was third down. They, you know, ran the swing pass, great play, tackle for a loss, which I think made the field goal a little bit tougher for them. And uh, I, I think really, uh, you know, forced them, forced them, but they chose to – to punt the ball. So Homs did a good job. So it's complimentary football. Defensively had to come up with a stop out of timeouts. They get a first down, the game's over. And then uh, special teams wise, Homs did a good job of drawing, you know, their snipers away from the ball. So it went into the end zone. We had plenty of time. I mean, you know, our normal two minute situation that we work when we put the ball in the minus 25 yard line is usually either one or zero timeouts in a minute 15 on the clock. And so that it's like right on schedule, but but barely, you know, so we're going to have to go fast. Um, and we had over two minutes. So that's what we told the offense. It's just like, look, we've done this a lot with far less time. Still, you know, reminded the guys when you have the ball on or outside the numbers, get out of bounds and um, to be ready for, um, you know, our two-minute offense. And there they went. When you look at it, for the course of the entire game, your two running backs able to run the ball for 20 seven occurrences and not a single lost yard. Uh, what was that saying about their ability to get a push? Yeah, that obviously that starts with the offensive line. And, uh, you know, we felt as though we did. We got a push, you know, which which mattered. And I, the thing I thought you were going to say is not a single turnover. Um, but, uh, yeah, no lost yards and, and no turnovers. Um, pretty close yep. <laughs> to two. That would have been brutal. But nonetheless, didn't turn it over and, um, yeah, I think our offensive line did a good job. 
Yeah, you, you mentioned the near Austin Smith interception as you were backed up in your own end zone, basically, at the six-yard line that the linebacker had and just dropped that would have really sealed the deal for Akron. You talked about it in your post game in a lot of ways. This was, game was statistically equal across the board. Basically, total yards, passing percentage, everything. The one difference, though, penalty yards. How much does did the penalties maybe impact uh, this game in some situations to give other teams some head starts? Yeah, no, penalties, you know, always affect you. I mean, we, we kept, I think, two drives alive that got points, you know, from penalties. When we, uh, right before our very last drive, you know, we started on the seven-yard line, a block in the back on our kickoff return. And then, uh, you know, we got some pass interference calls against them as we were moving the ball. So um, penalties, you know, always play a role. It was an emotional night because it's senior night. It was an emotional night for the way you came back. How fun was the locker room after the game to know in a lot of ways it seemed like there was some jubilation just because like we give ourselves an opportunity and whether backs against the wall, you wanted to see how they responded all week, asked about what is Eastern Michigan football and how they responded? How do you think they respond? Yeah, they responded well, and, and it was an awesome locker room, you know. It, it really was just, you know, got 18, 19 guys that, you know, played in their last home game in the factory and on the original gray turf, you know, and we talked about that too. I mean, there's, you know, we play games on that turf, but we practice on that mm-hmm. turf and we train on that turf. There's, you know freshman welcomes on that turf, you know, victory days on that turf. There's, uh, there's a lot of things, you know, uh, D Reed's Jersey is buried, um, underneath that turf. And, uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, intense memories, you know, from, from those 10 years and the locker room was, uh, you know, is the way that you want it to be on, on a senior night. Um, and then on a double overtime victory, you know, come back double overtime victory, uh, that in my 10 years, that's our first overtime right. win, you know, and I think it was six losses. I mean, it's three in one year. And uh, yeah, just uh, it was a great, great locker room. Speaking of that, how was this game maybe different in overtime? That, because in past overtime occurrences, it's been a struggle to run the football. This time you were able to quickly move the football. How does that change things when your game plan works in overtime running the football on first and second down well. Yeah, that's, I mean, anybody will tell you that things just get, you know, a lot easier when you're able to to run the ball. And, you know, that's credit to our offensive line, our tight ends. And then um, we have a guy who wears jersey number 22 who was playing um, senior night. Picked and, up his 40th career touchdown. Oh, man. And I'm just telling you, it was give the ball to that guy. Um, because you could just see it in his eyes. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a difference maker. So now an opportunity, as we're chatting with head coach Chris Creighton, to go on the road to Buffalo, a team that last year got you pretty good when, at, here at the factory, 51-31 in a game you were coming off the Arizona State contest, playing in this game, now an opportunity to go there and pick up bowl eligibility. I know it's looking at 1-0, and 1-0, and, and, and doing that, but this is more than just a win and regular season. It's a win and extend your season. Yeah, we just talked about that last night. You know, it's uh, backs are against the wall, and if we win, you know, we get to go bowling for whatever, f- fifth time in six 
yep. regular seasons um, and a chance to make history, right, with back-to-back bowl victories. It's never be the, been done in, in multiple seasons in a row, all those things. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, you know, there's, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot. And so it doesn't change, you know, how we prepare or how bad we want to, you know, play well. That's regardless. Um, but there is the reality that, you know, if, if the 2023 team wants to stay together longer, you know what I mean? We need to win. And then we just bought ourselves another couple of weeks and a bowl trip and another game and, you know, all the great things that come with that. I know you've you've kind of talked about it in a lot of ways. Nineteen nine, uh, recruiting Brian Dooley in two thousand seventeen. The ironic part is the last time you were in Buffalo was Brian Dooley's third career game. He yep. was still a tight end. That was a forty three fourteen Bulls route that day. They got on the board early and never looked back. How do you? go about trying to remind these guys that the Bulls have had our number the last few times they've been out there. And they're a hungry team having just lost a close game at Mac East champion Miami. Yeah. I think it was 2018 was when uh, we played Buffalo there. Oh, that's right. 18, there. yes. Yeah. 18. So, I mean, just in terms of the reference of being a long time. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, they – I think it was 31-31 maybe in the third quarter. We just stayed with each other last year, and then, then they pulled away. And – uh you know, we couldn't stop them uh, defensively, you know, last year and couldn't keep up offensively. And uh, the last time that we were there was after oh, we had just beaten Purdue. They were a good team, but, man, we, there was maybe a little bit of a hangover on that one for sure. And then we're going to San Diego State, I think, the following week. I mean, we're, we're playing pretty good football in that stretch. So it's, it's no different. These guys, their last two games, they've played against, you know, the MAC championship participants. Right. And, you know, Toledo got, got up on them 14 nothing. I mean, within a matter of seconds. But then the rest of the game was was uh, was tight. Yep. Um, and then, uh, you know, they got a late touchdown called back last night. Well, they called it a touchback off of a fumble. Oh, yeah, it was a hard, not. tough play. The kid drops the ball at the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And so it, uh, you know, that was closer, you know, than it looked. I mean, they're going to be kicking an onside right. kick there after yep. that. and you know, trying to make some magic happen. So, no, we know this is going to be a battle. You look at it, it also as a close tie uh, because Coach Reed coached there as well as their running backs coach. Uh, so I know it's a bit personal for them, but the Bulls want to run the football. Last week was your best opportunity at stopping the run against Akron. What does the defense have to do this week to, again, contain a, a talented Buffalo running game? Well, they, right, they play two quarterbacks. Like we've seen, you know, a lot this year. I think last night, you know, they played their their running quarterback a, a lot more than they did, um, you know, the quarterback that we faced last year and who who throws the ball. So we'll have to be ready for that. You know, we uh, when when we look back on Akron, just in terms of getting ready for Buffalo, we didn't take the ball away, and then our third down, um, you know, getting off the field was was not good, and uh, we got them into third downs. We got them into nineteen of them, but they. Uh, converted on 12 and so i know we're going to be spending some time you know figuring out our third downs and then lastly i'll get you out of here on this uh it'll be the first time since 2017 that you've had the opportunity to decompress a little bit and enjoy a thanksgiving holiday the guys were able to get away i know buffalo first comes you got to get tuesday but this will be a, a nice change of pace to also be able to spend the holiday with your family and the players with theirs right 
Yeah, I think it's been th- since 2015 that we've had the Tuesday night right. game versus the Friday game. And uh, oh, it's it's a it's a huge blessing. You I know, know what I mean? It is for everybody just to have a few days off before, you know, you go get ready for the next round. And then we'll be gearing up for the bowl announcement, hopefully coming up on the third, as well as the annual football banquet at the Marriott where you get to honor your seniors. That'll be a great occurrence as well. Oh, looking forward to it. Chris, appreciate your time as always. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, and we'll see you Tuesday night in Buffalo. Awesome. You're listening to the Eastern Insider Podcast, the only show that brings you all things Eastern all the time. Joining us now by Zoom, a very special guest, John Fountain, the longtime voice of Eastern Michigan football and basketball. John, it's great to see you through Zoom and and welcome. Well, it's just great to be seen when you're as old as we are. For sure. Let's start by talking about some of your your fondest memories of football. When I when I say that to you, what pops into your mind? Well, I think a couple of things. Uh, really, the the birth of the modern era of football at Eastern, as we went out of you know. When I, when I first joined the Eastern Michigan family, they were playing in the President's Athletic Group against teams like Allegheny, Teal, and Washington, and Jefferson. And a new president who had the full force of the Board of Regents behind him wanted to go big time. And uh, the first step was uh, through the NAAI to get national recognition. And so that period of time of going from obscurity to the point in a matter of five or six years where we were traveling to Penn State in Arizona uh, was really special. Uh, Particularly, I think the year uh, 1971, when uh, in the college division at that time, Eastern was the number one team in the nation undefeated uh, in the regular season and uh, went to what was then called the, the playoffs, the final four, and uh, played Louisiana Tech in the, in the uh, Pioneer Bowl. I think that's the first one. And then you, you skip uh, two decades out until you get to the period of time from, say, 1984 into the 90s, with uh, the feature, of course, being the California Bowl, 1987. And of course, you bring up 1984, and there may be a lot of people that don't know this, but the MAC had voted Eastern Michigan out of the conference, but the NCA stepped in and said no. But it looked like for a while there, the conference wanted Eastern Michigan out, and Eastern Michigan responded by by 1987 winning the conference and going to the California Bowl. I think there's a lesson to be learned, I think, by all universities everywhere, is that what was making it successful at that particular time was the alignment of the Board of Regents saying, We've got to compete. We've got to stay on the back. A president who put the pressure on everybody, including me, uh, I, I can still remember the day he called the press conference with the Detroit press coming in and sitting around. And he made the announcement public before he actually talked to me. He said, I'm relieving John Fountain of all his responsibilities here. And he has three things to do. Sell 17,000 tickets to every football game this fall. Get a auditing firm to get a paper trail that all of these are being sold and not given away. And hire an airplane to take an aerial shot to take a look at the stadium to prove that those tickets are being used. <laughs> and you know, when you've got that kind of force behind a program, it begins to move forward. And of course, uh, a key of all of it was the hiring of Jim Harkema as the head football coach. And that was his original recruiting class. And by the time they were seniors, 1987, with uh, 
Ron Adams at quarterback and, and Gary Patton as the running back. They were able to win their only Mid-American Conference championship, go to the California Bowl and be victorious. It was really a great time to be part of the Eastern Michigan University family. We're talking with John Fountain. It's one thing to say it's your job to put 17,000 people in the seats. And I look back at one of the games against UNLV, there were 25,000. But how did you sell those tickets? How did you encourage people to come watch Eastern Michigan football? Well, you got to remember one thing. It wasn't wasn't an individual effort. It, with, with the force of the president and the uh, Board of Regents, you had the whole university united behind you and we're going to save the athletic program. But what John Porter, as the president, didn't want to do is have it just, uh, he wanted to see those tickets used and really be the start of the program. But uh, uh, no, it was an everyday, we, we, we had a magnificent program uh, and you couldn't do it if they didn't let you do it. But you know, we had laser light shows. We brought in uh, uh, soupy sales soupy sales, and we had break dancers around. Uh, we had a uh, beer tent inside the, the, the stadium uh, and we gave away uh, an automobile in the last uh, game of the year. We kind of built up to that giveaway of uh, giving away a brand new uh, Mercury at that time. If I said to you, it sounds like a great time. If I said to you, name a couple of your favorite uh, Eastern Michigan players to, to call games for and cover in your time there, who pops to mind? Well, my favorite of all time, and now we go all the way back to the first one of the Pioneer Bowl was Larry Ratcliffe, who was the finest running back that I can remember covering uh, in my years of broadcasting. Uh, and he was injured in the ninth game of the season. And uh, he was not there for the uh, Pioneer Bowl. In fact, we were on our fourth string running back uh, for that game. And we were primarily a running ball club at the time. We had very little passing down. But Larry Ratcliffe, I think for his career, uh, Greg Steiner can verify it. I sometimes get fuzzy with numbers <laughs> at my age. But average something like 7.2 yards per carry for a career. And uh, I remember in that season, uh, there were four games in which he was over 200 yards rushing. One time he got, I think, as high as 294 yards in a game. He would be my number one. And then, of course, as you go again, the, that next 20-year span, Charlie Batch. Yeah. And the amazing, uh, his, his story is that we could do a whole show just on what the career of Charlie Batch and how he was recruited and came had to sit out two years before he actually got the starting role. And then when uh, he was really ready to go, a new coach came in with two new quarterbacks that he brought with him as transfers. And it wasn't until the Toledo game that year that Charlie Batch took over. We were behind 17 to nothing in the first quarter when he pulled the starting quarterback and put in Charlie Batch. Charlie put 40 points on the scoreboard, and we won that ball game. Those are kind of bookends when you're talking about things that happened uh, during our time there. I, I got to tell you, you're sharp as a tack. To remember those numbers and stats over a career that started in 1963 is unbelievable. Well, you've got to check them first before you come up with it. Like I said, I, I can get a little fuzzy at times. Well, John, we appreciate you coming on and talking football with us. They're going to run out of the eye. Nash is the up back. Patton the tailback, but Adams wants to throw. Cox pumps, now goes down deep. Goes for it all. It is down. It is touchdown! Touchdown! Greg Ostrich!
nobody picked off Derek Dial. He followed a missed shot from the outside, cut right down the gut of the lane, got the rebound and put it back, and the whistle blew. And it's going to be a foul, I believe, on Domzalski. And if it is, and it is, Damon Domzalski, the 6'10 freshman, is done for the afternoon. Now it is Boykin still as the clock gets down to 15. Boykins against Heap, and he drives in, stops, takes the shot. It's good. Boykins wins the battle with Heap and the heart of the crowd here at the Hoosier Dome. Randall in the corner, out to Ford. Ford will penetrate, go into traffic. Coleman is open outside for three, and it's good. Ryan Coleman, her second tray of the ballgame. In fact, 65-56, Eastern Michigan has won the championship of the Mid-American Conference Tournament in 2004. Really not much time for a tip even with 1.2 seconds. Bunkley will put the ball in play. So there's not going to really be time for a return pass to uh, Jesse on this. Bunkley has it. Comes in to Cashin from outside for three. It's good! It's good! Craig Cashin who brought him back with a three-point field goal earlier. Hits one from 23, 24 feet out. The senior comes through at crunch time, and Eastern Michigan wins this ball game, 62 to 61. An amazing finish to a rather unusual basketball game. How about that? Craig Cashin, two big threes to put this one into the win column. For my partner, Brian Nemorowski, and for John Patelka, who is as good as they come when it comes to being the studio engineer, this is John Fowden saying thanks for being with us. So long, everybody. This is EMU Tournament Basketball.